0: Who has the largest selections of DVC resale listings and is the number one DVC reseller in the world? Who has 90% of their listings sell within 30 days with no upfront fees? Who has 95 years of combined Disney Vacation Club experience and has been selling DVC since 1993? Who has over $360 million in sales of DVC? The answer, my friends, is the same for every single question. It's DVC resale market. If you're in the market for buying Disney Vacation Club or have any questions about DVC, then look no further than DVC Resale Market. Nick, Kevin, and the whole team will do their very best to get you exactly what you need and answer any questions that you might have. Take a look at their website for some great information, their latest listings, or just some FAQs. We would like to thank DVC Resale Market for being part of our team. And now it's your turn. Let them be part of your team when buying DVC. Check them out at DVC Resale DVCResaleMarket.com. Com. This is Disney master artist Kevin John, and when I'm in my studio, I love listening to the Mickey Dudes podcast. Whether it's the first sip of French roast at your Disney resort, or the grand finale of a signature dining experience at a restaurant like Le Cellier, Gico, or the California Grill, Joffrey's coffees make Disney memories more magical. Why not savor that Disney vacation just a little bit longer while enjoying a cup of Joffrey's in the comfort of your own home? Visit Joffrey's, the official coffee and tea company of Disney, online today at joffreys.com. Joffrey's Coffee and Tea, a flavor for every Disney memory.
1: And now, from the Monsters,
2: Inc. Laugh Floor, it's the Mickey Dudes Podcast.
0: Here's your master of ceremonies, Wesowski. Hello, humans!
2: Hello, humans, and welcome to a special episode of the Mickey Dude's podcast. I'm your host, Dave Koch. My co host, Eddie, is stuck on It's a Small World again, so couldn't be with us. So, we have one of our amazing Mickey Dude rotating commentators with us, and my co producer, Jeff Williams.
3: Flash photography. I wouldn't. That alters the homing signal, and that's not good.
2: And today's an exciting day for us because I always love shows where we have special guests. Today, from Modern Mouse Radio, where he hosts a podcast with his wife, Angie, and another project which he'll be talking about
1: today, we have Josh Taylor. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, Folks, we're heading towards the world of tomorrow, where everything looks better awesome
2: and speaking of the world you have a new series now where you chronicle the world that never was it's a six-part audio series about the things disney parks never built and why they were never built uh, josh has covered a whole bunch of to- topics in the last uh, year he has it's a seasonal show the second season is out now last year he covered a whole bunch of topics uh Pavilions, for instance, that never got built. He covered Equatorial Africa, the Israeli Pavilion this season. He talked about the USSR Pavilion. Various parks that were on the table that never ended up getting built. Westcott, which is now uh, basically where uh, California Adventure stands. And Disney's America, which would have been in uh, the middle of the northeastern seaboard. He covers park sections that never came to be. For instance, the entrance to uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom was supposed to be a Noah's Ark theme called the Genesis Gardens. He covers what the Muppets could have been in Disney's Hollywood Studios and Disney's version of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. He takes us also down to attractions that could have been, that never did, with his most recent uh, show on the Museum of the Weird. And he also talks about separate entities that Disney was in the midst of creating, namely the Mineral King Ski Resort, which we have a bit of a connection to since our first major interview on this show was Imagineer Bob Gurr. We talked to him about a ski lift that he was creating for that. So kind of excited to talk to him a little bit about that. Josh, before we start with Discussing the series could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your love of Disney and how it all began? (laughs)
1: Uh, I Was a huge fan of Disney uh, Pretty much my whole life Uh, my family and I lived in Denver and we would take trips, uh, road trips to Disneyland, like every other year as a whole family. Um, and I visited Walt Disney World for the first time when I was nine. And I would go every few years after that. Um, and and most recently, uh, about seven months ago, I moved to about a half a mile away from Disneyland. I can walk there. Uh, so, I mean, that's basically where I live in And completely indulge myself in Disney these days Um, but yeah I've been doing podcasting and videos and uh, writing and kind of taking part in the Disney community um, for the last five years or so and most notably I've been a podcaster but uh, over the last year or so I've jumped more into doing video uh, from Disneyland awesome
2: now can you tell us a little bit about uh, the world that never was
1: yeah, The, the World That Never Was was an idea that we had. Uh, Network1901.com is, uh, I co own it with a couple other people. And we came up with this idea of uh, instead of subscribing to a bunch of different podcasts, you could subscribe to one feed and get a bunch of different takes on Disney uh, and get multiple podcasts in one feed or on one website. And. Uh, that's not a new idea but it is kind of new to the Disney realm Uh, and so we had one show um, which now we do the Disney Culture Club that's a weekly show it's always going on on Mondays and then I host Modern Mouse Radio on Wednesdays we kind of brought those two shows together and then we were trying to figure out we had Mondays and Wednesdays and we thought you know to complete the whole thing maybe we'd have something on Fridays and we came up with this idea of Almost like a TV station, you know, that would be rotating seasonal, uh, rotating seasonal pieces, and I kind of came up with this idea of, well, what if I did a show because I didn't have to do it every week? I could do a show about uh, some of the things that Disney never built. I'd written an article series uh, for Lumenjello for WDWRadio.com years prior to that about some of those places. And I was really interested, um, not necessarily in what was going to be a part of those places that never got built, but I was really interested in the why, why they didn't get built. Obviously, Disney is a huge entity. They have, uh, you know, cash flow constantly coming in. So there must have been other reasons for these things to not be built. And I really wanted to kind of emphasize the show towards that.
2: I distinctly remember the one that Lou did on The Muppets in that way. So was that part of uh, one that came
1: from one of your articles originally? Yeah, I'd actually written written about The Muppets for him about four years ago. So he definitely had the information in his pocket. And, and like, by all means, Lou Mangiello didn't probably rip it off from me. And he definitely did a show more about... um, the Muppets and and what was going to be there and he really focused more on what was there Uh, when I did a show on what was to be you know a Muppet land I did the show based on Jim Henson and his death and and really kind of discussed um, the family and and what was going on with the drama kind of behind the scenes instead of just the land. So I went kind of a different direction than he did.
2: That's what I kind of liked about your whole series. It's not just Disney. In some ways, it's pure it's pure social science because you do a little bit of psychology, you do sociology, you you touch on politics, you kind of dive into the deeper meaning of it. And it's obvious uh, in in listening to these that these shows take a lot of preparation because you take so many. Uh, spins that I would have never even thought about in covering it. For instance, uh, your most recent one on the Museum of the Weird, you talk about how there were a whole bunch of um, Imagineers that were inside. They were in on the plans for this, um, for the Haunted Mansion, and you used the expression, too many cooks in the kitchen, and kind of just to bring it back out to reality you bring in a chef to discuss that idea in real life before bringing it back and connecting it to Disney. So it is very well thought out. I must say well done on that.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. It takes it uh, for the season that I'm on now. So I did six episodes um, last fall and it was, it went really well and I got a huge kind of, you know, a- ovation from it more than I'd ever had for anything I'd done up to that point. I've been doing at that point, Modern Mouse Radio for four years. And it was like pulling teeth sometimes to get people to interact on Twitter. You know, uh, I don't know if you guys have, um, you know, a, a huge interaction or whatever on social media. We for have a decent show. Yeah. It, it takes a while to gain it uh, and, and grow it. And uh, it was weird because yeah, Modern Mouse had been kind of growing and then... Um, the first episode I put out for the world that never was, it was like instantaneous. It was like, Whoa, I didn't expect this to happen. Um, which was great. And so when I thought it out again, I was like, okay, I'm going to pick six different topics. Um, and, and kind of the process in doing so was picking out six places that I knew would have a story. And I actually, in the first season, I accidentally did it. Um, but I connected the first and, last episode with both doing Epcot and with also uh, the idea that uh, the sixth episode was the most complicated. And so I felt like the shows needed to kind of take a lot of themes and then kind of build towards something else and and have this big crescendo. So in season two, I wanted to do the same. Uh, So I kind of sat down in January to start thinking about what episodes I would do Um, by February I was thinking about who I would probably bring in to uh, interview and I I started the interview process maybe the end of February and I mean I'm still working on interviews going into uh, you know days before I end up putting it out but then uh, when I do have all the interviews I kind of serendipitously end up with a story that I probably didn't think I had. For example, I I did the show about the USSR pavilion that was going to be in Epcot in the 1990s, and obviously the wall fell, the USSR was no more, and I was going to really tell more of a history lesson with that episode and, and talk more about U.S. communist politics, and I ended up talking with with everybody that I interviewed and what I found was it was less about history and it was more of a human story. And when I sat down to start recording all of my audio for the episode, I didn't feel right. And so I had to step back and kind of think about all these people listen to their interviews that I had with them, which for every person I interview, I usually get 30 minutes to an hour of stuff that I can pull from. And After doing all these interviews, I kind of learned really, yeah, it's a human story and it's uh, almost like this weird prejudice that we have versus Eastern Europeans in the Western world because it was us versus them for so long. Uh, And so would people even accept a Russian pavilion because of, you know, the, the stereotype on Russian people? And so that really became the story. So I, I I think like I think about the story, and then I interview people, and then I kind of have to come back and reevaluate the story because it, I would say nine times out of ten, becomes something that I didn't realize it was. Um, the same with the episode I did on Mineral King. Again, I was going to tell the story of Mineral King, and I found this guy, who showed Michael Eisner and a lot of his people around in, in the mid '80s and nineties, uh, because they were thinking about, you know, revisiting the mineral King idea and opening a ski resort. And he told me like everything. And it was crazy. I still think about it all the time, like how, how that would have been. And, uh, and I go forward from there. So when I put together a show, it really starts months before, but the, the final product, I sit down and record and it takes me about, eight hours to sit down, record, and kinda of piece all the puzzle pieces together before it's finalized and ready to go out. You kinda of do it all in one shot, or do you kinda of just do a little bit each day? I try and do it all I try and do it all in one shot. I try and take I mean it's all this preparation, all this research, all these interviews, and then I kinda of feel like I'm in like this moment and and I don't know if it feels this way when you're listening to it because I, I don't have that opportunity, but I kind of feel like when you're listening back to an episode, it almost feels as if I'm figuring out the story just as much as as, um, as you are. And so in some ways I'm trying to kind of piece this puzzle together from all of these things that I have. I think that you asked some really thought-provoking questions to kind of bring your listener into... story itself? Uh, I definitely do. And and in some ways, I'm asking myself those questions. So I, I think, you know, when I put together a show, I am trying to make it bigger than just Disney. I am trying to focus on more than just Disney. And a lot of the times, you know, I tell people it's a Disney podcast, but out of a 30 minute show, I'm probably only really talking about Disney for five to 10 minutes of that show.
2: Either which way, Disney pretty much defines all of our lives in some way, shape, or form. So, kind of, um, it's poetic in that way, because kind of everything comes back to Disney with us.
1: Yeah, and and what's nice about it is, uh, for this show, because doing Modern Mouse Radio, I've talked to so many people who have been fans of Disney or have worked with Disney, or whatever the case may be. Um, I really kind of wanted to reach outside of that with this, and a lot of people that I've interviewed, like you'd mentioned um, with the chef is I didn't want to talk to people necessarily about Disney. And I didn't want to talk to people who were Disney fans or who would have some kind of bias or something. Like I tried to talk to as many people as I could outside of the bubble of Disney fandom to try and get a much different perspective and kind of bring that idea back in. I will say
2: your show in Africa uh, really had me thinking about uh, the whole spirit of the we- of the uh, World Showcase, because I was always one of these people of saying, okay, well, now, not for nothing, get rid of the outpost, because Africa has its own entire section of a park. Why does it need to be in the World Showcase? After listening to your spin on it and listening to some of the other information, it kind of really had me rethinking and evaluating that attitude on it, because... It- it uh, totally made sense and brought it home of, okay, well, a big section of the world is not being represented in the World Showcase. Is it really the World Showcase at the moment? Or is it the uh, Northern Hemisphere uh, Showcase?
1: Yes. And, uh, you know, like when I talked about Africa, I thought about it in terms of, what would benefit Disney if they had it, and what would benefit whatever African pavilion would go in if they had it. And it just seemed like it benefited both so greatly. Uh, You know, like one would get this exposure that they don't have, uh, you know, and possibly bring in money that they desperately need. And then Disney, on the other hand, would be able to kind of fulfill this idea of, of really of a world showcase and be able to kind of expose people to something interesting and unique and, and kind of fill in a reason to have Lion King characters or whatever the other kind of characters, you know, that they wanted to put in that area. They'd be able to fulfill that and, and kind of have an interesting space and both would definitely work out well. But, uh, you know, the obvious ties to what was going on in the 1980s in Africa, I understand why they didn't touch it at that point. Excellent.
3: Uh, I was going to say, I'm really excited about the Beast of the Kingdom episode. So I I have been a fan for years. I know you you wrote a really extensive blog about it. Uh, Looks like I looked it up five years ago. Good gosh, I can't believe it's been that long. But basically, it dawned on me as I went through Pandora the World of Avatar that Joe Rohde, in a weird way, actually got his Beast of the Kingdom. I know it's a roundabout way of saying that, but it's not exactly the fantastical uh, area that he was that was planned originally, but in a, in some weird way, like you said, economics plays a big factor. But it's kind of like, okay, here's some money, here's a different kind of IP. It's a fantasy world. Go. And so, uh, a part of me feels like, hey, at least he got something to play with. Um, anyway, I don't know what you think about that.
1: I would actually say, and this will be kind of what. Uh, I mentioned that the first episode and the sixth episode tie together. And I haven't said this to anyone yet, but the first episode for the season was about Harry Potter and how Disney passed up on it. And in the sixth episode, talking about the Beastly Kingdom that's coming up in a few weeks, I really connect the dots there in the in this fact that when, when the Beastly Kingdom was no longer a project that was going to happen at Animal Kingdom, a lot of people ended up moving over to universal. It's why they ended up with the Dueling Dragons attraction, and and now it's called the Dragon Challenge. Uh, You know, that was the attraction that they were probably going to be building, or something close to it, at, uh, at the Beastly Kingdom and Animal Kingdom. And so I would actually fight for the fact that Avatar isn't Joe Rohde's idea that came to life. I would actually fight for the fact that what eventually became um, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter is really the route that that magical, you know, fantastical realm was going in. Um, they just stuck a different IP and it, you know, attached it to it. But like that idea of mythical creatures and, um, you know, having this dragon roller coaster and etc. I think that that the Wizarding World is more what the Beastly Kingdom would have been than what you know the Avatar Navi pandora land really has become
3: oh no you're you're right it totally makes sense if they could have got their hands on that i'm sure it would have been something along those lines but you're yes people have to listen to your wizarding world uh episode it was brilliant i love the the dichotomy of the uh universal versus disney
1: yeah i think um a lot of people don't know that you know disney had their hands um, you know, in the pockets of J.K. Rowling at one point and uh, and were making ideas and ties. And it was an idea that just wasn't going to happen. You had two alphas, you know, yeah. uh, in a room together. It just wasn't going to happen. And Universal benefited. But I think at the end of the day, we've all benefited because we wouldn't have um, Pandora. We wouldn't have Cars Land. We, shouldn't, we certainly wouldn't have what's coming with Star Wars Land. If we didn't have that Wizarding World, first, sure, this is true. Kind of lit a fire underneath them. It absolutely did, and and it changed, you know, uh, what a theme park land or attraction could be in the sense that it's very hyper focused on one idea. Um, You know, Walt Disney's idea of having a land that would kind of encompass multiple things um, has now kind of changed to having one thing become the whole land and, and immerse you in more of a movie set than a generic land. Okay.
2: Uh, in talking about all of your episodes, is there one that kind of stands out as your favorite one you've done?
1: Um, there's two. There's there's two that stand out. The Africa episode, like you said, it was the first one I did. It was kind of... I was trying to figure out how the show would even go. I I wanted to do this more kind of journalistic, investigative show. Uh, If nobody's listened to it, you know, think of like a show that's on NPR or even like, you know, if you're a TV watcher, like Dateline or something like that, where it's much more kind of investigative. There are multiple people who you're interviewing that you get to kind of hear their interviews throughout with one person kind of narrating and tying everything together. I didn't know how it was going to go, and I was so proud of myself after that Africa show came out That uh, I had to go back and I've kind of been able to re listen to that show multiple times. With Modern Mouse Radio, I love doing it, but I don't normally go back and re listen to shows later. (laughs) This, it kind of gave me that that feeling of like re listenability. It gave me that feeling of being able to be an audience member just as much as a creator. Uh, I think it's, uh, I think that. Steven Spielberg says the only movie that he's ever made that he can go back and watch was Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like the only movie that he can go and actually just watch as an audience member. You know, he doesn't re-critique himself. Um, And so it's kind of a gift to himself. So in some ways, I think that, that to me is a gift to myself that I did that and I can go back and listen and not critique it and be proud of it. Um, but then the second one is the Mineral King show that I, I just put out a few weeks ago because all the stuff, all these interviews and everything that I did, all the research just kind of was like laid out in front of me. And I really felt like I was some kind of conspiracy theorist, like with a giant wall kind of piecing (laughs) things together, trying to figure it out. And, and I'm at a point now where I, I'm still researching. I'm still trying to find out and I'm still trying to like figure out. Pieces to that puzzle that were happening when Walt was alive and when Michael Eisner was alive and if Disney will ever build a ski resort because I still think it's a part of their agenda. I just don't know how much. Right.
2: I love how you handled the National Parks Department because they gave you nothing. You they, you had to literally grasp at straws with that and you were able to put a very
1: nice twist on their <laughs> lack of response. I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't want to make them the villain. At all, um, but it, I, I was being pulled through the ringers so, You know, I was given people, uh, I was given a phone number and then given a different phone number, and then that person was telling me they can't help me. And here's another, and it was just like, I finally got on the phone with this lady, and I only had two minutes with her. She just, uh, I emailed her the the questions I was gonna ask her. She got on the phone with me. I didn't even have the chance to re ask those questions. She just started spit firing stuff at me. And it just seemed like she was getting more and more irritated along the way. And it was like, I I don't want to make these people the villain, but it just felt like you're pushing me in this direction that, like, I'm kind of casting you in a bad light when I didn't want to. And I I kind of chuckle at the same time when I say the phrase, like, I probably would have been the same as her in her shoes, which is true. I, I, I don't want some, you know, like punk kid talking about Disney calling the parks department, like, every day, you know, for like several weeks trying to like get some inside scoop as if I'm doing anything important, you know, like, uh, but it was like, I just really wanted to know if there was a connection that I thought I had and they just like, wouldn't give it to me.
3: Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you have to hand it to it. There was some pretty big investors involved, um, with that project also. So, uh, pretty, pretty big names, uh, a lot of celebrities. So, you know, it could have been a big thing. Uh, at least we got Country Bear Jamboree out of the deal, so.
1: <laughs> that's true. We did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I I don't
3: know
2: where I would be without my Country Bears. Seriously,
1: that's just that and Splash Mountain is my happy place. <laughs> that's something that I miss here at Disneyland. We, I mean, like they got rid of it here, and uh, it's something that I still wish we had.
2: So do you always crane your neck when you're riding uh, Winnie the Pooh to see. Uh, Oh yeah, and, uh, oh you know, yeah. I
1: definitely, I definitely try and check it out. And actually, um, my wife wanted to do a video for our YouTube page for Network 1901 about it and about like uh, how Winnie the Pooh used to be the Country Bears and the way that the vehicle is built is almost like the Doom Buggies, right? Like, so it kind of like encaves you yeah. in, mm-hmm. and so you really have to crank your neck back to be able to get it. <laughs> and yes, we rode it uh on a dead day so we rode it like five times um trying to like once we got into that room like crank back the camera to be able to get that shot and like for whatever reason we just could not get it so we just gave up on the video idea but yeah we uh, we always go in there and and try and see it and always dream of it
2: yeah uh for our listeners who don't uh, know what we're talking about uh, since we haven't covered Disneyland yet on this show, which is going to change as of right now, out of the eight Mickey dudes, only uh, three of us have been to Disneyland. I'm an annual pass holder. Uh, Jeff has been constantly, and uh, Joe had a not-so-good trip a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to be covering that soon. Uh, it, when you ride the many adventures, is it the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh out there too, yeah, or is a that different Yeah, name? that's what it's called. Okay. Yep. So when you ride the many adventures of uh, the many adventures of uh, Winnie the Pooh, there's one room. I think it's right before uh, Winnie Pooh, Winnie the Pooh's acid trip when he's having the honey dream. Yeah. Uh, if you turn around uh, and you looked, you look to the back of the room as you're coming in, you can see the uh, trophies on the wall that start up the Country Bear Jamboree in, in Florida. They're still they're still there. You can kind of see them often. They're they're kind of silhouetted in the dark. They're not spotlighted or anything, but they still exist over there.
1: Right. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of little like things like that that are kind of everywhere through our throughout both, you know, Disney World and Disneyland. And um, I always try and showcase those, you know, when I'm out with people at Disneyland, but sometimes they're hard to see, like that one. So.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my good friends who was a Disneyland girl had was very excited to show me that one. I would have had no idea <laughs> that it would have been there. Because the first time I see. came... Yeah, I had no concept of Disneyland the first time I was there. So she basically was uh, a very good tour guide when it came to stuff like that. Nice. I know. Um, all right, Jeff. you have
3: anything else to add? Yeah. Before yeah, sure. Uh, so, Josh, I know uh, you're tied up into a lot of stuff, but is what I fell in love with was a, a kind of ancillary podcast you do called "How Music Changed the World," and uh, yeah, yeah, I really enjoy that a lot immensely. And
1: um, is there any plans to keeping that going? Um, I would like to if I could find time to. Uh, I'm. So besides Disney, my other love in life has always been music. I've always been a musician. Uh, I played in a band for several years. And, yeah, I did a show called How Music Changed the World. I believe I got, like, eight episodes in before I uh, I was going to put out, I think, two more, and I ended up just not. Life just got too hectic. I would love to do it. I would love to do it more proper. I still have all the episodes and uh and one day possibly but uh, for right now i have to say no but i would like to get back to it at one well, point
3: nonetheless everybody should listen to them they're, they're short and sweet and really really chock full of uh awesome information about some unique uh awesome artists that have influenced us all probably so uh anyway i definitely listen to that one that's good stuff i always refer that to lots of friends thank you appreciate it
1: excellent
2: And before we move on to our rapid fire, uh, do you have anything else you'd like
1: to add about the series? Uh, Yeah, so I've got a couple more episodes to go for this season. Enough people have still fallen in love with the show, and a lot of people are still finding the show. Uh, So there will be a season three. Um, I don't have a tentative date yet, uh, but I would probably say it's going to be something that comes out closer to either the winter this year or um, or like late winter early spring next year because um, as soon as this series ends I'll start investigating the next batch of six things that I do but uh, I mean like I do recommend if if anybody's ever not listened to what I've done you know season one and season two, are both available. You can just go to network1901.com. There's like a little link there. It definitely says The World That Never Was. And then you can actually just listen to all the episodes right there. It's real easy to find and and navigate from that.
2: They are highly addictive. I will warn you that. So you definitely, if you haven't uh, heard of any of his work, you'll definitely be a fan after checking them out. So I encourage everybody who listens to this show to go check them out. Thank you. Our pleasure. All right, Josh, are you ready to talk a little bit of Fast Disney? I'm, I'm all ready. Yeah. All right, awesome. Well, this is the part of the show whenever we have a guest, we pay tribute to the great Lightning McQueen with a little section we call the Piston Cup Challenge. Lightning McQueen is going to win the Piston Cup.
1: All right, Jeff. Floret, Cars Land or Fantasy Land? Fantasy Land. Chiro or Corn Dog? Churos. Jeff, Floret. World of Color or Phantasmic? Ah, uh, World of Color. Florida Space Mountain or California Space Mountain? Hands down, California's. Good answer. Jeff, Floret.
3: Okay, this one's gonna be a tough one. Hungry Bear or Pico's Bill?
2: Hungry Bear. I miss Trixie's pie, but that's another story for another yeah. time. And finally, favorite Disney animated movie: uh, Three Caballeros. Nice. Uh, I was in a foul mood when I was in Disneyland the last time and went up to uh, country, uh, went up to Hungry Bear and saw that Trixie's pie wasn't on the menu anymore. I asked I asked a cast member, and she had no idea what I was talking to. And I tried to go to a senior <laughs> cast member too and she was insistent that she worked in Dis- disneyland for 20 years and that was never on the menu so i kind of just let her talk about let her talk and kind of le- left sulking <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's pretty sad i'm sorry
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right well josh it's been a pleasure having you on thank uh you. take thank it you for having me. oh thank thank you for coming on uh Take a minute to uh, let our uh, listeners know where we can find you.
1: Yeah, uh, like I said, Network1901.com is where all of our podcasts are, so you can listen to The World That Never Was, uh, as well as Modern Mouse Radio, um, the Disney Culture Club, and then we have other you know seasonal shows as well, um, including Discovering Star Wars uh, and Explain This Book to Me, and pretty soon we'll be doing uh, Animated Devils, and discovering Harry Potter uh, those are all going to be fantastic shows I recommend all of them and uh, if you want to find me on social media uh, you can find me personally at Modern Mouse Josh on twitter and you can reach network1901 um, which is also me as well as several other people uh, you can find us on twitter facebook and uh, instagram all at network1901 or backslash network1901
3: excellent and Jeff, where can you be found? You can find me at braindud92 on Twitter or just braindu on Instagram.
2: And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Figments Reality, and Dave Koch on Facebook. Check out The Mickey Dudes on Twitter at themickeydudes.com and check out our uh, website www.mickeydudes.com for uh, original blog content, mostly created by Pat. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, have a magical day.